Section 11 of History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890 by Alexander and George Sutherland. South Australia, 1841-1850 1. Governor Gray The colonists of South Australia had, in 1841, received a sharp but salutary lesson, and we have seen that they profited by it. They had discovered that the land was their only source of wealth, and many who had sufficient means to purchase farms or stations went out into the country determined to endure a year or two of hardship in hopes of prosperity to come nor had they very long to wait in eighteen forty four they were able to export corn to the extent of forty thousand pounds and in that year the colony possessed three hundred fifty five thousand sheep and twenty two thousand cattle the new governor, Captain George Gray, took every care to assist the colonists in returning to more prudent courses. Many changes were needed, for in 1840, while the colony had a revenue of only 30,000 pounds, it had spent at the rate of 171,000 pounds per annum. Such imprudence could lead to nothing but ruin, and the first task of the governor was to reduce all expenses as far as possible in the first year the expenditure was cut down to ninety thousand pounds in the next to sixty eight thousand pounds and in eighteen forty three to thirty four thousand pounds instead of employing the poorer laborers on costly and unnecessary public works he persuaded them to take employment in the country with the farmers and squatters who were rapidly opening up the interior parts of the colony he settled many on small farms or stations of their own but in this he was greatly impeded by the high price of land for wakefield's friends in england were not yet convinced that their favorite scheme was defective they attributed every mishap to the incompetence of governors hindmarsh and gawler to lower the price said they will be to ruin the colony and lest such a thing should happen they raised the price of all lands whether good or bad to one pound per acre but many of those who had bought land in the first days of the settlement had been so anxious to part with it during the crisis that they had sold it for much less than it cost them and thus a great number of the poorer people became possessed of land at very moderate prices in eighteen thirty nine there were but four hundred forty acres under cultivation three years afterwards there were twenty-three thousand acres bearing wheat and five thousand acres of other crops so rich and fertile was the soil that in eighteen forty five the colonists not only raised enough of corn to supply their own wants but were able to export about two hundred thousand bushels at cheap rates to the neighboring colonies and even then were left with one hundred fifty thousand bushels which they could neither sell nor use so rapid a development of resources and so sudden an accession of prosperity have probably never occurred in the history of any other country 
2. Mineral Wealth Such was the success attendant upon careful industry, exercised with prudence and under favorable circumstances. But the colony was to owe yet more to accidental good fortune. During the year 1841, a carrier, while driving his team of bullocks over the Mount Lofty Range, had been obliged by the steepness of the road to fasten a log to the back of his wagon in order to steady the load and prevent its descending too quickly. As the log dragged roughly behind on the road, it tore great furrows in the soil, and in one of these the carrier noticed a stone which glanced and glittered like a metal. On looking more closely, he saw that there were large quantities of the same substance lying near the surface of the earth in all directions. Having taken some specimens with him, he made inquiries in Adelaide, and learned that the substance he had discovered was galena, a mineral in which sulfur is combined with lead and small quantities of silver. The land on which this valuable ore had been found was soon purchased, and mines opened upon it. At first there was a large profit obtained from the enterprise, and though in after years the mines became exhausted, yet they served to call the attention of the colonists to the possibility of discovering more permanent and lucrative sources of mineral wealth. 3. Copper At the Kapunda station, about forty miles northwest of Adelaide, there lived a squatter named Captain Bagot. One day, during the year 1842, he sent his overseer, Mr. Dutton, to search for a number of sheep which had strayed into the bush. After spending some time in fruitless efforts, Mr. Dutton ascended a small hill in order to have a more extensive view of the country, but still he saw nothing of the lost sheep. On turning to descend, his attention was attracted by a bright green rock, jutting from the earth it seemed to him peculiar so he broke a small piece off and carried it down to captain bego's house where he and the captain examined the specimen and came to the conclusion that it consisted of the mineral malachite containing copper in combination with water and carbonic dioxide they let no one know of the discovery but proceeded to apply for the land in the usual manner without breathing a word as to their purpose. The section of eighty acres was advertised for a month, and then put up to auction, but, as no one was anxious for this barren piece of ground, they had no competitors, and the land fell to them for the price of eighty pounds. As soon as they became possessed of it, they threw off all appearance of mystery, and commenced operations. During the first year, the mines yielded four thousand pounds, during the next ten thousand pounds, and for several years they continued to enrich the two proprietors until each had realized a handsome fortune when the land was bought by an English company. 4. The Bura Mines The discovery of copper at Kapunda caused much excitement in the colony. Everyone who possessed land 
examined it carefully for the trace of any minerals it might contain and soon it was rumored that at a place about one hundred miles north of adelaide a shepherd had found exceedingly rich specimens of copper ore the land on which these were discovered had not yet been sold by the government and in great haste a company was formed to purchase it this company consisted of the merchants professional men and officials of adelaide but a rival company was immediately started consisting of shopkeepers and tradesmen together with the farmers of the country districts the former always maintained a haughty air and soon came to be known throughout the colony as the knobs while they in their turn fixed on their rivals the nickname of the snobs for a week or two the jealousies of the companies ran high but they were soon forced to make a temporary union for according to the land laws of the colony if any one wished to buy a piece of land he had to apply for it and have it advertised for a month it was then put up for auction and he who offered the highest price became the purchaser but a month was a long time to wait and it was rumored that a number of speculators were on their way from sydney to offer a large sum for the land as soon as it should be put up to auction it was therefore necessary to take immediate action there was another regulation in the land laws according to which if a person applied for twenty thousand acres and paid down twenty thousand pounds in cash he became at once the proprietor of the land the knobs determined to avail themselves of this arrangement but when they put their money together they found they had not enough to pay so large a sum they therefore asked the snobs to join them on the understanding that after the land had been purchased the two companies would make a fair division by uniting their funds they raised the required amount and proceeded with great exultation to lodge the money but part of it was in the form of bills on the adelaide banks and as the governor refused to accept anything but cash the companies were almost in despair until a few active members hunted up their friends in adelaide and succeeded in borrowing the number of sovereigns required to make up the deficiency the money was paid into the treasury the two companies were the possessors of the land and the sydney speculators arrived a few days too late now came the division of the twenty thousand acres a line was drawn across the middle a coin was tossed up to decide which of the two should have the first choice and fortune favored the snobs who selected the northern half called by the natives burabura to the southern part the knobs gave the name of princess royal the companies soon began operations but though the two districts appeared on the surface to be of almost equal promise yet on being laid open the princess royal was soon found to be in reality poor while the burabura mines provided fortunes for each of the fortunate snobs during the three years after their discovery they yielded copper to the value of seven hundred thousand pounds miners were brought from england and a town of about five thousand inhabitants rapidly sprang into existence the houses of the cornish miners were of a peculiar kind a creek runs through the district 
with high precipitous banks of solid rock into the face of these cliffs the miners cut large chambers to serve for dwellings holes bored through the rock and emerging upon the surface of the ground above formed the chimneys which were capped by small beer barrels instead of chimney pots the fronts of the houses were of weatherboard in which doors were left and for two miles along each side of the stream these primitive dwellings looked out upon the almost dry bed of the creek which formed the main street of the village here the miners dwelt for years until the waters rose one night into a foaming flood which destroyed the houses and swept away several of their inhabitants in eighteen forty five bora bora was a lonely moor in eighteen fifty it was bustling with men and noisy with the sounds of engines pumps and forges acres of land were covered with the company's warehouses and offices and the handsome residences of its officers behind these there rose great mounds of blue green and dark red ores of copper worth enormous sums of money along the roads eight hundred teams each consisting of eight bullocks passed constantly to and fro whilst scores of ships were employed in conveying the ore to england from this great activity the whole community could not but derive the utmost benefit and for a time south australia had every prospect of taking the foremost place among the colonies five governor robe in eighteen forty one governor gray had been of the greatest service to the colony in changing the state of its prospects but he was not permitted to see more than the commencement of its great prosperity for in eighteen forty five he was sent to govern new zealand where troubles had arisen similar to those which he had helped to cure in south australia his place was filled by colonel robe a military gentleman of what is called the old school honorable and upright but inclined to think that everything ought always to be as it has been he disliked all innovation and did what he could to prevent it much to the discontent of the young and thriving colony which was of necessity the scene of constant and rapid changes he passed a very troublous time for three years and in eighteen forty eight was heartily glad to be recalled six governor young the colony was then placed under the care of sir henry young whose policy was completely the reverse he sought by every means in his power to encourage the ceaseless activity of the people his failing was perhaps an injudicious zeal for progress for instance in his desire to open up the river murray to navigation he wasted large sums of money in schemes that proved altogether useless he made an effort to remove the bar at the mouth of the river but fresh deposits of sand were constantly being brought down by the current and lashed up into a new bar by the waves that rolled ceaselessly in from the southern ocean he spent about twenty thousand pounds in trying to construct a harbor called port elliot near the entrance to the murray but there are now only a few surf-beaten stones to indicate the scene of his fruitless attempt 
he offered a bonus of four thousand pounds to the first person who should ascend the murray in an iron steamer as far as the river darling a gentleman called cadell made the effort and succeeded he obtained the reward but it was not enough to pay his heavy expenses and when he endeavoured afterwards to carry on a trade by transporting wool to the sea in flat-bottomed steamers he found that the traffic on the river was not sufficiently great to repay his heavy outlay and in a short time he was almost ruined the attempt was premature and though in our time the navigation of the murray is successfully carried on and is undoubtedly of immense advantage not only to south australia but also to new south wales and victoria yet at the time when the first efforts were made it led to nothing but loss if not ruin to the pioneers end of section eleven recording by linda johnson